Well, I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, whether you're here or whether you're watching at home or wherever you might be. Some folks may be in their cars today traveling. Uh, if you're not driving, uh, get your Bible out. And I, I encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 7. We are continuing in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. If you're following along, if you've, if you've been here and have been following along in the little sermon notebook that we have usually for just about every series we do, you will notice that we were planning to end this series today with one final message, but I just couldn't bring myself to leave this book and couldn't find a way to finish the sermon in time. So I've broken it into two parts and we're continuing one more week, pushing the rest of it off till next Sunday to finish finally here this series in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' wonderful Sermon on the Mount. I remember as a young boy, our family was on family vacation, as many of you will be doing over uh, weeks here during the summer months. We were driving through the mountains of Colorado, again, as probably many of you have done, and again, like probably many of you have done, if you've been Colorado or even New Mexico or other places along the Rocky Mountains, I remember coming to one of those little places where the parents stop and being told that we are at the Continental Divide. And that's that place where, if you, if you don't know this, that's the place where the Atlantic watershed is divided and, and to, from the Pacific watershed, the water that, that goes this way goes to the Atlantic Ocean, the water that goes that way goes to the Pacific Ocean. I remember being enthralled with that as a, as a kid. I was around 10, 11 years old and standing there looking at that sign, looking at the ground and thinking, if I spit that way, <laughs> theoretically at least, the water, now what happens is, you know, it's kind of dry up there, you spit and the water just gets absorbed in the dirt, you know. So you have to take it on faith that ultimately that water makes its way to the Atlantic Ocean going that direction. If I spit that way, it makes its way to the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Just being mesmerized by that thought. It is from that concept that we get the term a watershed moment. A watershed moment is a place, a situation where a simple decision marks two divergent courses that lead to very different outcomes, very different results. Jesus has been preaching this great Sermon on the Mount what a marvelous thing it has been. So rich and so deep, we've spent 18 weeks just beginning to try to unpack the riches that are here. And I hope it has been for you what it has been for me. Just eye-opening, heart-opening, heart-rending at times, things that we have seen here. As Jesus has challenged us and encouraged us and called us. 
as He has laid out before us what it means to be His followers, to be His disciples. What are we to be as disciples of Jesus? What are we to do as followers of His? That is the message of this Sermon on the Mount. So much here. And now Jesus comes to the end, to the conclusion as the preacher. And we're going to, again, break it over two weeks. But Jesus here brings us to what is a watershed moment as He places before us critical decision in the passage before us this morning. Look with me at verse 13, Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus says that in life, every person comes to a watershed decision. A decision that ultimately determines their eternal destiny. And Jesus pictures this decision for us with gates and with paths. He says that there are two gates and that there are two paths, two ways, it says here in our text, two roads. And he says that there are two destinations. And as we look at what he says, we realize that these come as package deals. And ultimately, you see, there are only two options. There is this option and this option. Option A and option B. And that's why this is a watershed decision. Jesus is saying here, choose your way carefully. There are two gates. He says one is wide and the other is narrow. The wide gate, Jesus says, has lots of room. It is wide, it is unrestrictive. Anyone can enter this gate with ease. In fact, as we see Jesus' words here unfold, we come to realize that, that this is the default choice. Everyone, everyone has started at this gate. Everyone has already entered through this gate. The big, wide gate. In contrast, Jesus says there is another gate. This gate is narrow. This gate is restrictive. That's literally what that word narrow means. It means restrictive. It means that you, you can't just get through this gate any way that you choose, any way that you want. The only way you can get through the gate is the way that the gate allows. You can't enter this gate on your own terms, but only by the terms that are dictated 
by this gate. It is narrow, restrictive. And these two gates, he says, the wide gate and the, the narrow gate, they are paired up with two ways or two paths or two roads. There are two roads and these two roads represent two ways of living. One road, one way of living, he says, is easy and the other is hard. The way, the road that's connected with the wide gate is easy. Literally, that word easy means broad. It means spacious. There's lots of room on this road to be and to do whatever you desire to do. You get to call the shots. You get to make your own rules. You get to set your own priorities. You get to dismiss any guidelines that you don't like. And you can replace them with things that you do like. And you can bring along any and all of your favorite things. Your favorite habits, your favorite sins, anything you want to carry, anything you want to drag along, anything you want to tow along behind you. There's plenty of room for it on this broad, wide road. And even though there are lots of problems and lots of grief and lots of heartache and dysfunction on this road, the travel brochures that go along with this road are very slick and pretty. And sure enough, from a distance, it looks like everything on this road is easy and nice and good. The folks on this road seem to have it easy. David, writing in Psalm 73, noted this. He said, For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper, despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives, and their bodies are healthy and strong, and they don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. So it appears, with first glance, at life on the wide road, the broad road. By contrast, Jesus says that the, the way that's associated with the narrow gate, he says it is hard there in verse 14. The Greek word that's there literally means it is squeezed, it is pressed. It's like the, the word that was used with a wine press to, to squeeze or crush the grapes to get the juice out. That's this narrow path. So if you go through the narrow path, the implication that Jesus is saying, don't expect this, this road, don't expect this path to be an easy trip. You can expect that there will be resistance. You can expect that there will be challenges. You can expect that there will be pressures along the way. I will interject here. By the way, I don't think that that means that this is a bad road. And since it represents a way of life, that it's a bad life. Matter of fact, I think the Scripture is pretty plain in its description of life. And I think both Scripture and experience proves that this path is actually a better path than the broad, wide road. But it doesn't mean that it's not a life without pressures and difficulties. Because it does have plenty of both. There are two roads. Jesus says there are also two companies. 
Perhaps not surprisingly, the broad and spacious path is popular. Jesus said here, those who enter by it are many. It's socially acceptable. It's culturally fashionable. It receives great reviews on Twitter. It's trending on TikTok and Instagram. The videos have gone viral on Facebook and whatever other social media, YouTube, whatever else. He says there's lots of company. Everybody who's anybody, you see, is going on this road. Most people take this road. And Jesus said it's few who take the narrow gate and the narrow road. Jesus says those who find it are few. Compared to the crowds on the wide road, the narrow view, this narrow road has few travelers. And truly, we might actually wonder, why would anybody actually take a narrow, restrictive, difficult road when there's a perfectly wonderful, wide, easy, broad road? Why would you take the road where you have to leave things behind and it's restrictive? You can only do this and this going in and you have to follow these, these guidelines and follow these things and over here, you can do anything you want. Why would anybody choose this road over this road? And the answer is simply because the main thing of any road should be, where is it going? Where? What's the destination? And these two roads inevitably end up in two very different places. There are two destinations. And Jesus says, the wide road leads to destruction. Verse 13. And that word destruction doesn't just mean that it's annihilated you to stop being. The Greek word there for destruction means it means great loss. It means disaster. It means waste. It means utter ruin. What is being described here is hell, eternal loss, eternal ruin. And Jesus says hell is the only destination that awaits those on the wide, broad road. And in contrast, Jesus says the narrow road, the narrow road leads to eternal life. Jesus says this road leads to eternal life, to heaven. There is no other road to heaven but this road. There are only two options. Jesus doesn't say there's a third road, that there's a third destination. That doesn't set well with us in 21st century America. We like options. Lots of options. We like the opportunity to set the terms. We like the opportunity to choose our own way. Well, that's what the broad road promises. But Jesus says, despite what it promises, there are only two options in life. There are only two roads. There are only two gates. And they are package deals. 
And the broad gate and the broad road lead to eternal destruction, to hell. And the narrow gate and the narrow road lead to heaven. If you want heaven, you want this road. So that raises the question, what is the gate? And what is the road that leads to heaven? How do we get to heaven? Where does Jesus define the gate? And He doesn't right here. But He has made it clear already in this sermon. He makes it clear in His other words. What is the gate? John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. How do we get eternal life? How are we saved? Jesus says, I am the door. Another verse we are very well acquainted with, familiar with, John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus, God became man, came to die on a cross to pay the penalty of our sin. He rose again from the dead. And He promises that those who believe in Him receive pardon from sin. He's paid for it already. All that is asked of us is to believe, to trust in Him. Whoever believes in Him, He says, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way. That's the same word for the way here in Matthew 7, or the road or the path. I am the way, I am the road, I am the path, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, no one gets to heaven except through me. There it is. Jesus is the narrow gate. We enter through Him to life. Jesus is the way. He is the path. We get to heaven, as, as John 3.16 says, we, we, we get eternal life by believing, by trusting in Jesus Christ. And the logical outcome of that, the logical result of that, of believing and trusting in Jesus, Having entered the gate of salvation through Jesus Christ, the logical follow-through of that is that we will walk the path of Jesus. Having entered the gate of salvation through Him, we will walk His road. We are saved by faith. We are not saved by works, by what we do. But real faith, faith that saves, shows up in real life. It shows up in the life of the one who has that faith as they walk the path of Christ, as they follow Him. They will not follow the path of destruction, the broad road that leads to hell. And so Jesus is saying there's a decision. There's a choice to be made here. There are only two options in life. There are two gates that are connected to two paths that have two destinations. One leads to heaven, one leads to hell. 
By default, everyone is already on this path, the wide path that leads to destruction. But there is another gate, an off-ramp from this road, a narrow gate to a, to a narrow road that goes to heaven. And Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. There's a decision to be made. To make no decision at all is to be on the road to destruction and to go to hell. No one ends up in heaven by accident. You know, I've seen a number of surveys over the years of Americans. And generally from what I see in recent surveys is some 70-75% of Americans when asked, are you going to heaven? They say, yes. But Jesus says, no one gets there by accident. A decision, a choice must be made. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Trust me and follow me. There's a watershed moment. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Are you following Him? That is a question Jesus puts before everyone here this morning, everyone watching online. The sad reality is that there are many, He says, many who will go on the broad path Many thinking that they are going to heaven, but they have never actually chosen to follow Jesus, to trust Him. And Jesus goes on with another important choice for us in verses 15 to 20. It's a message of warning. Jesus says, here, verse 15, beware of false prophets. He calls for us to choose our teachers carefully. Beware, he says, it's in the present tense. It means always be alert, keep on being alert, keep on be, being aware. Because there is an ever-present danger of false teachers. There have been false teachers present ever since Satan uttered the first lies in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. There have been false teachers among men. They were there in the time of Jesus, many false teachers in His day, including at this time many who are listening to His words, some of the, the teachers, the religious establishment of His day. False teachers. Jesus knew that false teachers would continue from then till our day. And that they would, they would proliferate until Jesus returns one day. There will continue to be false teachers. Satan's great tool to keep people on the broad road to hell to keep people away from God, away from Jesus Christ, away from salvation, away from heaven, Satan's great tool is not the church of Satan. 
it exists, but have you noticed people aren't flocking to the church of Satan? Satan's great tool in our world is getting, it's not getting people to celebrate being on the highway to hell, even though that was a big song with ACDC 20 years ago. The fact is, I don't hear very many people going, yay, we're going to hell! Yeah! Some people do foolishly say such things, but most people don't. That's not Satan's great tool. Rather, Satan's great tool is to get people to buy into lies, to listen to voices that let them think and let them feel consoled as they listen to voices that sound good, that, that, that look and sound religious and spiritual, and that say, you're just doing great. Everything's wonderful. And so most people who are on the broad road to hell think that, like 70% of Americans, they think we're going to heaven. Or, like many other Americans from some other polls I read, they just don't think much about the future at all. They don't think they're going to heaven, they just really don't think about anything. They're too busy with playing video games and social media. And Satan loves that. Because all the while, people keep trekking on the broad road. Satan works through false teachers to dissuade people from believing the truth, from turning to Jesus. Satan uses false teachers to comfort people and encourage people who are on the broad road that they are just fine where they are. Satan also uses false teachers to Influence and to keep people who are saved and who are headed from heaven to keep them from the abundant life and the full life and the, the joyful life and the productive life that Jesus intends for His followers on the narrow road. And that's what makes false teachers among the most dangerous people in the world. Because their deceptions have eternal and deadly consequences. In my studies this week, I came across something I'd never really thought of. I read a statement and I thought, hmm. And I checked it out and I was like, wow, it's right. Did you know that 24 of the 27 New Testament books have warnings against false teachers? That's because they are dangerous. Extremely dangerous. So Jesus warns us. He warns us, if we are going to follow Him, if we are going to choose the narrow gate and the narrow road, we need to be able, brothers and sisters, to distinguish between those who are teaching falsehood and lies and those who teach the truth. We need to be discerning, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Jesus says in verse 15, look at it there, Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False teachers are dangerous like ravenous wolves. They are also, this verse teaches us, they are also deceptive. They disguise their true nature. 
They come in like, a, like one of the sheep, but they're really a wolf who's wearing a sheepskin. They are like Satan himself, their master. We are reminded from Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Very few people willingly sign on for hell. They buy his deception. These false teachers pretend to speak for God. They pretend to be godly. They pretend to be holy. They pretend to be trustworthy. But in reality, they are ungodly. They are selfish. They are predatory. Instead of praying for others, they pray, P-R-E-Y, upon others. Which makes us ask the question, well, how can we know, how can we distinguish between who's speaking the truth and who's speaking lies? How can we distinguish between those whom Satan is using to deceive people, to lead them to hell, and those who are speaking the truth from Jesus that leads people to heaven? How can we tell the difference in a world that is filled with false teachers? Jesus gives us an answer, verses 16, 17, and 18. Look there. It says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Then again, look down at verse 20. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus says that false teachers can be identified. And he says the way we identify them, we examine their fruit. Close examination will expose the reality of these false teachers. He calls attention to a couple of well-known illustrations to the people. He, he calls some attention to agriculture. We, we wouldn't understand this not being in their, in their situation. But he says, have you guys ever been hungry? And you're going down, you're, you're looking for something to eat, a little snack, and you, you see a, a grapevine over there. You go, oh, there's some grapes on it. And you go over there. But when you get there, you discover that, that those aren't grapes. <laughs> there's little berries on a thorn bush. Oh. So now you're still hungry. You're looking for something. You see over there, oh, there's a fig over there. There's some figs on that. And you go over and you get there and you realize those aren't figs. Those are these little blossoms that kind of little flowers that look like figs. And they're not on a fig tree. It's a thistle. He says, that's what false teachers though are, you see. If you'll go over and you'll look carefully at the fruit, you'll see that it's not grapes. You'll see it's not figs. It's not the truth. He says, examine their fruit. And we go, oh, great. How does that help me? So we've turned on the TV and we're watching some guy on there who's going on and teaching and saying all these kinds of stuff. How do we know if he's, if he's false or he's true? He says, examine the fruit. And you're looking for grapes. You're looking for figs. I don't see any. That's not what we look for. Not that kind of fruit. Let me ask you this question. If he's a false teacher, a false prophet... What is it that a, that a prophet or a teacher does? They speak. 
like I'm doing now, a prophet, a teacher, speaks in the name of the Lord, saying, this is what God says. That's what I'm doing this morning. I'm saying, this is what God says. This is what Jesus says. Now, how do you know if I'm speaking the truth or if I'm speaking falsehood? Well, Jesus says you examine their fruit. The big fruit of a teacher, of a preacher, of a prophet is their words. Examine their teaching. As Jesus says this, he's speaking to Jews who know their scripture, they know the Bible, and probably they call to mind some passages in the Old Testament. Here's a good one from Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass, And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. What Jesus says is this guy comes up and he says, hey, God has told me some stuff. And you guys got to listen because I've got a message from God. And in the process of doing this, he works some sign. He works some miracle. He does some extraordinary stuff. And everybody goes, woo. And then he goes on to say, now let's chase after other gods. God says, don't you believe it for a second and don't you run after him. Even if they work a miracle. He says, when what they say goes against what I've already said, run, don't walk away from them. How do we know? If that guy on TV or that guy on the radio or this guy in the pulpit is speaking truth, you compare them to the Word of God. Which is why, brothers and sisters, we need to read the book. Which is why we need to study. It's why the Jews in Berea were commended in Acts chapter 17 when the Apostle Paul came to the city of Berea preaching the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he went there to these Jews and he started telling them about Jesus. And the scripture says there in Acts 17 that these were more noble. These folks are commended there because what they did, Paul would preach and they go, wow, that's exciting news. Jesus is the Messiah. Okay. (laughs) They went home. They take out the scriptures and they dig through and they're, now what did he say here? Let's look. And they checked it out according to scripture. They'd go back and they'd listen to Paul and they'd go back to the scriptures and check it out. And they'd listen to Paul and go back to the scriptures. And finally they said... It's good. What he says matches the Scripture. That's what we are to do with everyone who speaks. That's what you're to do with me. You're to constantly be saying, is what Pastor Keith says match up with Scripture? And if not, kick me out of the pulpit. Truthfully. That is the job of elders in the church, by the way. But it's also the job of all of us in the pews. My mother-in-law worked for many years in banking. And she verified what I've heard as illustrations over the years. That the way the FBI and the way that banks train tellers and train bank people to spot counterfeits is not by studying all the counterfeits. They go over and over and over and over and over with the... Them with the real thing. Here's what the real bill looks like. Here's what the real money looks like. So that they know it so well, counterfeits are easy to spot. My mother-in-law could spot them a mile away. Still can. 
But it wasn't by studying the counterfeits. It's by studying the real thing. That's what we are to do. Examine their teaching. A second fruit to examine, and I'm just giving two this morning, is check their character. The Apostle Peter warns in 2 Peter chapter 2 about some false teachers. And he says this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. Guess what we get from that? You are going to run into false teachers in your time, in your experience, in your life. You will come across false teachers. Expect it. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with with false words. He says, yes, these false teachers will have false words. They will have heresies and, and false things that they're going to say. Did you notice what else he pointed out about them? They're going to have corrupt character. He says, notice he mentions their sensuality. They will live for pleasure. They will be immoral. And he mentions their greed. They look to profit to get rich off of ministry. We see a lot of that, don't we, in our day. We could go on. There's so many other scriptures in the New Testament that talk about false teachers. It describes them as people who are arrogant, people who are prideful, people who are self-centered, people who are insubordinate, people who are legalistic, people who are contentious, people who are divisive, people who are immoral. There's a lot of character things, character flaws that show up in false teaching. What the scripture basically says is this. False teaching, false doctrine, Corrupt theology goes hand in hand with corrupt morals, corrupt character. When you see one, you usually find the other as well. By their fruits, Jesus says, you will know them. Lastly, Jesus just says, verse 19, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Just a little side thing here, not a side thing, but a... To bring a little closure, false teachers are going to be judged. There's nothing good awaiting the false teacher. Jesus is going to hold them accountable, fully accountable, for all the damage they have done. But what do we take away from this this morning? Two crystal clear, important instructions to you and me that are of eternal consequence says be sure you are on the road to heaven choose your way carefully are you on the road to heaven are you trusting Jesus as your savior secondly who are you listening to choose your teachers carefully and follow Jesus and his path with your all your heart and all your life as you listen to His Word. Don't get dissuaded by other people or by false teachers. We'll get the second half of His conclusion next week. Let's stop here. Father, these are difficult words.
First, because we recognize from these words that the vast majority of people in this world are on the road to destruction. Many of those people are family. Many of those people are friends. They are neighbors. Some of them may even be people in this room or people listening online. And oh God, that breaks our heart. It breaks your heart. For you are not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. It is Jesus died for the world. The invitation is open to anyone to go to heaven. But they must choose. So, Father, I pray that not one person within the sound of my voice will not choose to trust Jesus. And then, Father, the, the fact that people can't call upon Him of whom they have not heard, and so it behooves us as those who are followers of Jesus to be faithful in sharing this good news with a lost world. Father, it also calls us this morning, all of us who know Jesus, to follow Him. This whole Sermon on the Mount has been about what followers look like and what we are to be like and what we are to do. May we put those things into practice because we love You. Because You have done Everything for us. Because we are on the way to heaven. Why would we ever think about even turning aside for the slightest moment from that wonderful path, walking in the footsteps of Jesus? So, Father, may we this morning not just be hearers of the word, but doers of what Jesus has said. We pray in His name. Amen.